I'm Emily. And I'm Hannah. We are best friends and dietitians. We have a goal of challenging nutrition misinformation and fitness trends with an evidence-based approach. Each episode, we will dish up our thoughts about the latest facts on a popular health-related topic. We're the Upbeat Dietitians. Okay, hi guys, welcome back. Hello everyone. Today we're going to be discussing bikini competitions and we're going to be discussing basically what they are, what they entail, what the preparation for them might look like, and then we'll go over some pros and cons about what it's like to compete in either of these shows. And I think just a disclaimer to start, I've never participated in any of these and I don't think Hannah has that I okay I was like I didn't think my secret life (laughs) but you do at night dietitian day (laughs) even though that is kind of popular there are I wouldn't say a decent amount but I know a number of dietitians that either have done bikini competitions in the past or they currently compete now yeah I will include a couple that I do recommend if you are interested in doing this to have as a coach because there are some that I follow that do coach for that kind of stuff. So nothing wrong with it. We do want to make that clear off the bat. If you do it, great. It's just good to go about it the right way. So we're going to go over kind of the pros and cons and what to be aware of if you do decide to do these kind of competitions. So to start off, basically what is a bikini competition? It is a competitive bodybuilding show that is held year round and These are actually pretty popular. They're held in a lot of different big cities, in different venues. And if you have any interest of just like learning more about it, I encourage you to just Google it because you'll be, I feel like you'll be surprised with how much you'll be able to find with how frequent they're happening. Right under your nose. (laughs) Yeah, they're really sneaky about it too. They don't want you to know what's happening. Bikini comps are just one of the many types of different shows. So bikini is one of them. There's also figure shows that you can do, which again, never done this, but from my understanding, it's just a different type of physique. And then speaking of physique, that's also a whole category on its own. Um, There is just like fitness, I guess. I think maybe Mm -hmm. that means like, I don't know. Is that like powerlifting and stuff? Or I I feel like it is more around not necessarily like slimming down your body fat percentage but more so like maybe it's like overall general like power and stuff like that yeah yeah I guess I should look more into that I'm not sure and then bodybuilding is also one of them as well and Mm -hmm. like I said these all have their own different type of expectations and like muscle size and leanness and kind of just like how you should look yeah. Um, bikini is the most popular and there are different committees that kind of make the rules and regulations a really popular one is the NPC, the national Vis- physique committee and what they say you should look like for these bikini competitions, um, is quote, a foundation of muscle, which gives shape to the female body, full round glutes with the slight separation between the hamstring and the glute area and a small amount of roundness in the delts so they're very specific about what kind of body type to have and I know I think the judges like when you compete 
they tell you like what to work on for next time is what my understanding is. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know they actually had a specific definition that detailed about what your muscles should look like. I know it's pretty intense. Is- I think they're looking for like a specific look, which I- is hard to do if you if your body just isn't that tight. I know. I was thinking, I was like, genetically speaking, not everyone's going to be able to look like that. But th- I feel like this is something we can definitely get into, like, right yeah. into the episode. But just that definition in itself stresses me out. And I don't even compete. I <laughs> just like the idea yeah. that my muscles have to look a specific way. But but I guess that's like part of the challenge, which we'll get to as one of the pros, mm-hmm. actually, is it's a real challenge. But you have to build your body bodybuilding to look that way so that is the challenge right there is kind of going against your genetics to look how you're supposed to so you can win these competitions yeah it's intense but also going into that there are different categories it's not kind of all everyone's thrown into one pool and you're going against each other there are different categories based off your height your weight they also go into different ages the whole class like goes out onto the stage and the judges judge based on like how you present yourself your body composition and like the overall balance of like your muscle proportions Mm mm-hmm which there actually is a lot that goes into how you present yourself. I've watched a couple of videos just out of curiosity and how like you walk and like pose is very much a big component of how they will judge you, which is really interesting. Yeah. They often, people who compete often get posing coaches, which again, we'll get to that in a second, but that's mm-hmm. a whole part of it. And you're wearing these like five inch heels and you have to learn like how to pose the right way to like show your muscles the right way. It's crazy. Also not to mention you have this like skimpy bikini on and it's probably very expensive and bejeweled. Um, you've got a crazy spray tan as well. A lot of hair and makeup going on. It is in a lot of ways like a beauty competition. I was about to say it reminds me of like a pageant or something. Yeah, pageant. That's the right word. It's just more. It's like a a fitness pageant. A fitness pageant. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So kind of the process leading up to this is like you're thinking, well, what do these people do to get to these desired body composition goals that they've been preparing for? And it typically their prep section or prep portion of their life before a competition will last about 12 to 24 weeks, which is, when you think about it, a very long time, which makes sense because in order to change your body in that way, it's not something you could do with one week in advance. It's something that's going to take a long time and dedication to achieve. And some competitors actually do have one to two years of strength training under their belt already so they are going into their prep phase a little bit more prepared and they don't really have to start from scratch or like that day one additionally in their prep they're going to be doing some posing practice with coaches typically to basically get a feel of what they're going to have to do when they are in the stage and what the judges what what the judges will be looking for 
which is really interesting. If you want, just go Google some like bikini competition posing tips videos. They're very interesting. And then keep in mind, at least for the, I was going to say, at least for the women, they have to wear heels. Men, they don't have to wear heels. <laughs> I think that would make it more exciting if they did. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then also during this prep phase, there's a lot of calorie counting and there's a lot of macronutrient tracking during this time. And this is kind of when a lot of the nutrition comes into it is how carefully they're watching everything they eat in order to get performance, their performance body ready. And I know sometimes within that prep range, their macros will obviously change the closer they are to competition because they are trying to reduce as much body fat as possible and make sure they look very strong and toned. <laughs> the T word. And toned. <laughs> yeah. Muscle I've mass. never. <laughs> Muscle mass. <It's> Muscle mass. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard of someone competing and not like going crazy about their calories and their macros. You can't eat intuitively and be a, com- a bikini competitor that's just not really yeah. a thing which we will get to in a minute as well it might be one of the cons that we kind of get into it can yeah. be a good thing short term but often people don't just compete once they compete that first time kind of get hooked which makes sense and then do it over and over and over again and so that can yeah. be a long long time of calorie counting and macro tracking yeah Plus, if you like were in sports growing up or you're just a competitive person overall who enjoys working out, this is something that people have seemed to enjoy just because it is a new way to push your body and see what you can achieve through your nutrition and exercise regime. And I did forget to mention that a big part of prep also is the cardio and resistance training portion they're not just kind of doing any type of workouts it is there is a large focus on getting that aerobic exercise in with a combination of building muscle overall yeah I had a short phase where I thought I wanted to compete because I also I'm pretty competitive I played sports my whole life and I thought that's my next challenge would be I fizzled away from that because it was just too restrictive for me, but yeah, there was a brief moment and it's so expensive, which again, we'll get to, but it's so so expensive. Like you have to pay for the competition, pay for your outfit, your heels, your makeup, your hair, coaching. It could be a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It is an expensive hobby. That's for sure. (laughs) Or job. If you're doing this for money, don't you you get paid if you win? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. But another important part of, I guess, more so after prep, I don't know, I'm not a coach for this. So if I'm wrong, let me know. But that reverse dieting, you may have heard this before. It's kind of a buzzword, honestly, kind of gets thrown around here and there. But basically reverse dieting is just what it sounds like. And that is where, since you are being so restrictive all the time, it's where you eat more than you did during that restrictive prep phase to slowly increase your calories. You can gain more muscle and help stimulate metabolism. That's probably kind of gone down the gutter when you were being so restrictive, but it has to be done 
really carefully. You can't just like eat more calories the next day and think you're going to fix what you've been doing for all those weeks. Um, and that's why working with a good coach is so important because if it's someone who doesn't quite understand metabolism and calories and all that, it can just be done the wrong way and be kind of pointless, I guess. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it does involve adding those calories back into your diet, um, but still staying below, you know, what your body needs. So you're still getting lean, but hopefully, you know, maintaining muscle mass. It's a very tricky scientific phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. It is. I do not have really any understanding of it. <laughs> it serves of like what's really like, I know we understand the overall idea but looking specifically into how many like how many grams of carbs you need and how many grams of protein it's very a very challenging concept and that's why I really admire the dietitians who are coaches for these competitions because it's just something I don't understand but yeah yeah. Okay. Let's get into, we kind of touched on this already, the pros and the cons of doing these times, types of competitions. We'll start with the pros because I feel like our bias is showing a little bit and we do have a lot more cons than pros, but um, to each their own. Like we said, if you like this and you do this, good for you. It's hard. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. One pro that we've already kind of touched on is that it gives you something to work towards. If again, you are kind of a competitive person who needs something in your life to work towards and work on. If you have big goals, it can be a great thing to kind of incorporate into your life because it is a challenge and it is going to be kind of a long challenge too. Like I said, you don't just do it once and then stop. Usually you do it, get told how to fix it. So it's even better. And then you keep working towards that again. And your goals are always changing, which is good if you are someone who likes a competition yeah exactly if you have that natural competitive nature this could be really fun especially because people at least I feel like I'm not saying this in a bad way but validation is always fun especially when you're doing something really challenging and you see yourself getting rewarded for it which can be not great (laughs) stay tuned for the cons from an extreme side but just the general idea competition is fun I definitely get that and I'm also very competitive so it's fun to go into competitions as yourself and see how well you can do yeah and kind of going off of that is it really does push you out of your comfort zone this isn't unless you were in a like weight-bearing type sport like wrestling or pole vaulting growing up where you were kind of classified or categorized more so in a certain weight class in order to compete where you really had to focus so much on how much you weighed and what your body composition was. This will really push you out of their comfort zone if you've never experienced something like that because I don't really know many things like this and it is a challenge to be able to adjust kind of your everyday life to reach this body composition goal and make yourself look a certain way which is very challenging and 
I guess, yeah, that's <laughs> thing. I was like, yeah, it's very challenging to do. If you, if you like to compete that. and you like a challenge, this might be a good fit. Mm-hmm. And you like fitness. So you have to kind of like. Oh yeah. Size. You have to like, you have yeah. to like sex. If you don't like being in the gym, you're not going to like doing this. <laughs> Just tap out now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Another pro is you may meet new people, you know, your coach, others in the industry. Um, I've seen people that I follow who compete. I've seen like backstage like behind the scenes kind of things and it's just like women in bikinis everywhere everyone's talking and doing their like little bands to get their muscles all pumped up and stuff before the show and I'm willing to bet you'd make some friends during all that so oh that yeah that could also be another pro plus there's a really big I feel like social media community with this so that's a really fun way where you could share your fitness goals with people and bond over that and make new friends all across the world. Cause that's the beauty yeah. of social media. Yeah. And if it's something you're passionate about and you can find other people that are passionate about it, that's makes it even more fun. Yeah. Another pro is it helps you to learn about calories and macros. If you haven't really experienced tracking that before, not that everyone has to, again, we touched on that a million times, um, counting macros is not for everyone, but it can be a good way to learn like what macros are, what foods have certain macronutrients, um, how many calories your body does need, how it works to manipulate those calories and macros to put on muscle mass, to lose body fat. It's really, really interesting. I went to school for all this, obviously. So we kind of have to enjoy learning about it, but it can be cool if you are someone who wants to know more about that too. Very true. Very true. And just makes me more aware, I guess, of what certain foods macros look like. Yeah. And then to finish off our pro section is you'll gain muscle mass and learn how to resistance train, which is always cool because going back to the, that competitive side, if you really want to see how far you can push your body and how strong you can get, that's really cool. If you're, if you really enjoy that and also seeing that those external factors for validation to see yourself gain muscle is really cool. So this is, would be a really fun way to see how your body can change in a healthy way with what you do. Yeah. If you are more interested in like the strength side of things, you can also compete in that and like powerlifting or weightlifting. So it doesn't have to be you walking around in a bikini, if you don't want it to be, you can compete in other things too, that have different focuses. This is just one yeah. of the many avenues that yes. you can go down. Yes, definitely. That was a good note. You don't oh, have thanks. to, <laughs> all the competitions, all the competitions are not body composition focused. Yeah. There are some that are just general strength, endurance, stuff like that. There's kind of a competition for everything if you really do enough research or Googling into it. So there's something out there for you, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we're now going to go into our con section and we will try our best to stay very unbiased, but just with what we know about nutrition in our educational history, educational background, (laughs) 
I'm just saying things. Uh, okay. <laughs> so the first con that we talked about is Hannah really touched on this is how expensive this can be because you'll most likely hire a competition coach who will help you throughout the entirety of your journey. And they'll really play a big role in helping you figure out what you, what your goals should be, what you can do to achieve your goals and some and so on. Additionally, you'll most likely hire a posing coach who will teach you how you need to change your, I guess, your body's appearance on the stage. Teach you how to, what's that called when you like make your body go in weird positions? Uh, not ventriloquy. <laughs> I was thinking exorcisms. <laughs> They'll teach you how to exercise, exor- exercise, exorcism. I don't know. But that's teach- not right. <laughs> that's, they're not going to teach you that. At least I hope not. No. They are not opposing coach. If teaching. Ugh, steer clear. <laughs> Read the red flags. But then you'll also have to buy equipment for like your heels, your bikini. If you're a man, it's like, it's like swimsuit trunks. I don't really know what it actually yeah. I don't know huh. if theirs are expensive or you can just like go to Walmart and get a pair. That's what I was thinking, I really yeah. It probably is cheaper, honestly, because yeah. society. <laughs> this is not a feminist rant, Emily. <laughs> I know. Um, and then additionally, like makeup and your spray tans. And then also just like a gym membership. I was just going to say that, yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you do want to purchase any additional equipment at home or if you do want like exercise clothing it can it can rack up pretty quickly and be very expensive yeah yeah I forgot to include the membership on the on the list there that's a good one okay that's obviously a pretty big con but Mm -hmm. again no hobby is free if this is your hobby you probably already know how expensive it is how expensive it is and you have to pay for it so it's only a con if you are unaware of it, I guess. <laughs> you don't You're know. Going in involved. with no experience. Yeah. And if that will steer you away, then so be it. It steered me away. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am cheap. Okay. Same. Same. <laughs> it can also really mess up your hunger cues. You're on such a strict eating regimen with calories and macros that if you're hungry, you have to eat something either that's basically no calories, drink water, go for a walk to get rid of that hunger, or just like be miserable. Because your body has to be in a certain calorie and macro range to do what it's supposed to do. So hunger cues don't get taken into consideration during this process from what I understand. So coming out of it if you're no longer competing it can be hard to tune back into those hunger cues and listen to them and know what your body's trying to tell you which is not good if you are out of season or transitioning away from this altogether and even if you are if you are really struggling with that that's when working with a dietitian and specifically an intuitive eating dietitian would be really helpful because they can help you relearn your hunger cues and what your body's craving and wanting and 
basically they aren't going to throw you right back in eating. They'll be like, oh, go eat. Go eat all this food because you're feeling super hungry. They're not going to do that to you because your body will not like that because of how your metabolism was affected from competing. But that's when it's really important that if it is really bad and you are looking for professional help, a dietitian can be very helpful to work with. Exactly. And kind of going off of disruptions in your body's cues is your mental health. Good segue. <laughs> Not, I really forced that. <laughs> but oftentimes, this isn't specifically restricted to bikini competitions and competitions like this, but body dysmorphia is something very common that a lot of I wouldn't I don't know if I'd say a lot, but it is common in the weightlifting community where competitors might not be able to see what their normal body actually looks like. And they have this obscured version in their head when they look in the mirror where they don't look like what they actually look like. And this is a mental disorder that unfortunately impacts a lot of people where basically what I may be seeing is not what they're seeing and that can really get in someone's head and cause them to restrict even more or try to find more extreme measures to overcompensate for what their mind is playing tricks on them about. And sometimes people say things like, wow, you must have given up or you look way healthier or better back then. And, or even if there aren't like these comments during off seasons, especially, or even when they stop competing can be very harmful. So that's why it's important that body commenting is not something we do, especially when someone is coming out of a competition like this, where kind of the entire premise is about what you look like. Yeah. And the way you look, during the in season when you're competing is not sustainable. And usually people who compete know that that's just, they know that's not going to be how they look forever. But if you have an audience, like say on Instagram, who sees you through that whole process and they see you at your peak leanness with the most muscle mass, it's not sustainable, but they see that as like your healthiest body. And so then when you transition, which again is normal to your off season body, or even if you stop altogether, your audience, whoever, maybe even just close friends and family might say things like Emily said, you look healthier before. Um, did you just give up? Even though you're still in a healthy body, you're just not in your peak in season leanness anymore. Mm-hmm. And then also going off the mental health avenue is these people tend to have, or you might be at a higher risk of developing an eating disorder just because you are under such a restrictive nutrition regimen. And also you are so focused every day on how many carbs am I allowed to eat? How many, how much protein am I supposed to eat? How can I space out my meals throughout the day? So when I'm hungry, I am allowed to eat something. And then also not even the nutrition component, but the 
exercise component can lead to things like orthorexia and overcompensation with exercise to earn your food. If you are getting out of a competition lifestyle, and it's really important that people are aware of the risks of developing disordered eating habits that can eventually listen, lead to eventually lead to eating disorders because we do not want you to get to that. And unfortunately, the really restrictive lifestyle does put them at a higher risk of developing eating disorders. Yes. Not to say that, this is not what Emily was saying, so I'm not saying she did say this, but not to say that calorie counting and this much exercise is automatically indicative of having an eating disorder. That's definitely not true. Mm-hmm. It's all about like where your headspace is at while you're doing it or while you're transitioning out of it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then kind of to wrap up the mental health section related to these competitions is anxiety and depression, because this is such a big, this has such a big impact on your life. As we know, nutrition not only affects your physical health, but also your mental health and your emotional well-being. But with competitions like these and the high stress environment, and you're basically kind of everything you're doing every day revolves around preparing for these competitions can lead to individuals developing anxiety and depression. All right. Our next con is just as a whole poor social life. And here's why (laughs) can't just say that without explaining. (laughs) Um, Often we've already mentioned when you're getting ready to compete, you are eating very in a very strict way. You only have certain things you can and can't have just because of calories and macros and things. And so you often can't have what friends and family are having. So everything you do eat has to be prepped and weighed and measured and put into an app to see how many calories and what macros it has. And that can just be a burden if you are not only for you, but also those around you, if you are someone who usually does like to go out and eat and socialize. Um, Like I said, I've never done one of these, but I have been around those who were kind of prepping, like in college, some of our classmates were into this lifestyle and they often did have every single thing, like in a little container, all pre-measured and portioned and had to be a microwave nearby to heat up a chicken and rice real quick. And if that wasn't a possibility, they, it was like the world was ending So it can just be a real, like I said, kind of a burden. Yeah. Yeah. And also with that alcohol, I mean, if you're someone who does usually like to go out and drink with friends again, that's probably not going to fit into your macros super easily. So that probably won't happen very often either. It's really that like social component of nutrition that we preach on here a lot is kind of taken away from those individuals because they don't have the freedom to choose foods that they're craving or make a sporadic impromptu decision that we're going to this restaurant or this bar to get out to get this like quick snack or like even a dessert they really don't have that much freedom because of the lack of macros that they're probably aware of a lot of restaurants do post the calories but they don't 
post the macronutrient breakdown. So just not having that freedom to make decisions about what you're eating can be very detrimental to your social life. Yeah. And there is usually like a cheat day is like a term in the industry, a really big one where to help alleviate those feelings of restriction, they can eat whatever they want for a full day, but that has another other giant list of cons that we could, but won't get into today. Um, but that's like once every, I don't know how long. So 90% yeah. of the time you are on a very restricted diet and that usually leads to a binge and the cheat days, but we won't go into that. <laughs> yeah. Now I'll leave for another episode. Yeah. Another day. <laughs> and then another con we're going to discuss is the time commitment around this. So you are probably thinking there's so much that goes into this and we're really talking about how this is so implemented in your everyday life. And it kind of is because because it goes into the meal prepping where you have to prepare all your food and portion it all out. And a lot of people tend to meal prep for the week, but if you meal prep every couple days, it'll take up much more of your time. And also like measuring everything out and making sure you're eating food before it goes bad, stuff like that. And then also the hours that you're going to spend in the gym practicing resistance training and building that muscle mass and making sure that you have enough time in your day from your other commitments that you're able to commit to this. So it is really kind of a second job, honestly, where you're preparing all this food, you're making sure you're timing your meals so you have enough food and macros to eat throughout the day. And then you're also putting in those hours at the gym to work on your body goals. Yeah. You guys know all about like nice, quick 20 minute workouts. Those aren't really an option when you're competing in this type of thing, because the workouts are very specific. You have to target, you know, certain muscles and certain reps and rest times. And there's absolutely a place for all that. And this is the place for it, I guess. But um, the kind of workouts that I like to do would not be suited for this. That's for sure. No, I'm all about quick and eat, not easy. There's still a challenge, but quick is kind of the thing. Yeah. So, like Emma said, yeah. it's a second job. If you don't have time for literally an hour or two each day in the gym, doing cardio and lifting weights, it ain't going to happen. Yeah. And that goes back to you need to enjoy working out. <laughs> you, we need to, there's a huge emphasis on you need to be able to enjoy this or else you will be miserable. So our next section then is overtraining or when an individual might burn out from this and they might be pushing themselves a little too hard and it's leading to <laughs> why are you smiling like that i like hit my microphone and everything flew to the side so oh, exactly you could hear it if you're playing i it thought back. it was something i said i was like i didn't think i said anything too controversial <laughs> you're really walking the line there lady. i know don't overtrain controversial opinion <laughs> um but one of the biggest negative physical side effects we have seen with this overtraining is amenorrhea or the loss of period. And it is very important that you are maintaining a regular period because 
this is a huge component of not only like hormone regulation, but also it can affect things like your iron stores with risk of anemia and having a period is very normal. And we, I feel like we should normalize talking about this because I actually had a period in my, I'm so punny, Emily. Uh (laughs) I'm not. Oh, you said, oh, 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 okay. I get it. I was thinking, okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. I was like, is she going to say it soon? Like there was a time in my life there we go. where I, <laughs> I thought you were going to like really describe one of your periods. There was a period where, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> no, you're going to normalize it that much. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> no, there was a time in my high school sport little career that I would lose my period during competition seasons and like I remember the other girls would talk about this and they thought it was like something to brag about or they're like oh I haven't had my period in three months I'd be like well I didn't have mine in five months and I was like why I'm looking back I'm like why is this something we were bragging about Because I feel like it's so normalized with a lot of extreme sports and it's especially not good in like adolescent girls because that's such a huge growth period and they need to have their period. I'm saying period so much. (laughs) Oh, we did a trigger warning for this episode. (laughs) But basically, okay, we're going back to me. competitions Hannah you can come back and if you have any amenorrhea stories you'd like to share <laughs> thanks but, for putting me on the spot <laughs> oh there's another pun right there Ugh, okay um, um I cannot think of any but I'm sure something will come to me yeah but going back to especially I guess not even bikini competition but I'm thinking of this now as like the female what was it called the female something triad the oh is it the female athlete triad yes yes where the three components are amenorrhea which is your loss of period low bone mineral density because of that being undernourished and your bones are becoming weaker because of it and then what was the was a third one isn't it just like disordered eating like in general yeah I think so or like yeah 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 but that's something that there's a big discussion about especially with female athletes because they are at risk risk of developing these risk factors that will affect their health in the long term in terms of general growth and well-being of their body and I know we were talking about amenorrhea but this kind of leads into especially these female bikini competitors are at risk of developing the female athlete triad which can have long-term negative effects on their health yeah that was a long rant (laughs) just talk about amenorrhea but (laughs) well I do want to kind of like very briefly and like simply describe why that happens, why amenorrhea happens to people who do these kinds of competitions. And this is just very basic. I'm not going to get into the science because that's kind of confusing hormonally and everything, but basically 
we get our periods that we can, you know, have children if we want to do that. And when our body is that low in body fat and we're eating that few calories, our body doesn't think that it can maintain a pregnancy. And so it just like stops the period so that we're no longer menstruating. We can't get pregnant, yada, yada, yada. So that's why it happens because when you're competing in these types of things, your body fat is so low that if you were to get pregnant, it would probably not be sustainable because you're not eating enough, basically not enough body fat either. Yeah. And also something kind of that we've talked about with like, I know with keto, we talked a lot about with how your body will try to compensate by taking other extreme measures to try to maintain that homeostasis. So it's not good. Telling good. Telling not only like 16 year old Emily, but also (laughs) anyone else who thinks it's cool to not have a period. You you want one. Even you want one. It sucks, but it's good for you. It's an awful time, but like you do want. Yeah. Yeah. And I again I've never competed, don't know about like off season and on in season and all of that, but I would hope that a good coach would not have you just doing like back to back to back to back seasons so that you're not constantly in that crazy lean body state where you're not having a period for years and years and years. Cause that would not be good for you. No. All right. Another kind of symptom or sign of overtraining and burnout, which is where we started with this. <laughs> that was our main bullet point here. Um, this one's quick, just like moodiness irritability, not sleeping well. Those are all just tells of probably working your body a little bit too hard. Exercise to make you sleep better, honestly. And if it's mm-hmm. making you not sleep well, something's probably off. And it should improve your mood too. So mm-hmm. if it's all the opposite, you might just be going a little too hard. Yes. So to finish up our little cons list, is as you might be thinking since there is a lot of supervision on what you're putting into your body and what your macros might look like this can have an effect on your relationship with food because oftentimes there are foods that are quote-unquote off limits and you aren't really allowed to eat them in your everyday life, unless it's like a cheat day, because they just aren't realistic to include in your macronutrients. So something really big about coming out of this competition lifestyle is accepting that it is okay to enjoy foods that might not necessarily be great for your macro goals or what were your macro goals, but they're good for your mental well-being because you are allowing yourself to consume foods you enjoy, not just for their nutrient value, but also your personal enjoyment. Yeah. If this is your first episode that you've heard of us, like heard of ours, you're going to want to like refer back to, which one is it? We talk about this a lot more. I think episode two, three. Oh, where's my little spreadsheet? <laughs> Which, what are you referring Episode three, to? our diet culture one. Oh, yes. Or even intuitive eating episode five. So episode three and five, we'll explain that a lot better and a lot in more detail um, about, you know, what food rules do to you. Mm-hmm. 
but that's exactly right. That can be hard to overcome that when you spend a large portion of, I don't know, whatever the prep time is for you personally, um, having those off-limit foods, it can be hard to transition back to having no food rules. Exactly. So the last section we want to talk about is with any, I guess, profession comes how qualified they are and issues that might come up with finding an online bikini coach, because you want to make sure you're getting the best possible person that will fit you, the best person that has your good, has good intentions behind what they're doing and also has the proper education to make sure they're not sharing any information that could be potentially harmful to you and hopefully not hurt you in the long run. So many bikini competition coaches and, or these type of coaches in general, don't have any type of credentials. A lot of them are either they have a history of competing or they enjoy working out a lot, (laughs) which is kind of. It's all it takes. Yeah. Which is coming from a dietitian perspective can be kind of off-putting because just because you eat does not mean you're qualified to provide advice on what other people could be eating because there's so much more that goes into it than I eat every day so I know what everyone else should eat. (laughs) And that's why it's really important, especially that we recommend working with these dietitians who specialize in competitions like this because they have not only the educational background, but also a lot of them do have the actual experience with these competitions. Do you know if there's, I actually don't know this, but are there any, besides like a personal trainer, are there any other credentials someone may have that they should look for in a coach? For bikini comp specifically? Yeah, I don't know. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. I really don't know. I, I mean, of course, like we've already said before in previous episodes as well, like there are nutritionists out there who are smarter than I am and know more than I do, but still maybe shouldn't be doing what they're doing. And so the same goes for this. There's probably bikini coaches out there who are really good but don't have any credentials at all. It's just a tricky, slippery slope. But to answer your question, Emily, I don't think there really are. Um, Since the biggest components of competing are fitness and nutrition, I think it's just best to look for a personal trainer for the fitness part of it and an RD for the nutrition part of it and kind of keep it that way. I do know that posing also has their own coaching world as well. So for that, I have no idea like what needs to be Mm-hmm. what your experience needs to be for that. Maybe that is one of those things. I don't want to misspeak, but where experience really would be the only qualifier to be like a posing coach. I don't really know, but yeah, I know my bias is showing, but I do think that it's best for a trainer and an RD to be the best coaches for this kind of thing. Yeah. Retweet. So, retweet. <laughs> 
There are a couple, like I said, in the very beginning, a couple coaches that I have followed that I think do a really good job. They are both dietitians, So take that for what it is. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll include those below. I think that's really all we have to say about this. Yeah. Overall, this can be a really fun experience for you if you are looking for a, comp a competitive environment where you have the potential to make some friends. There are really great communities for this where you can meet a bunch of new people and challenge yourself to push yourself to the extremes at times and see how you can change your body. But there are unfortunately a lot of cons that come with it that we want you to be aware of at least if you are considering going into this because it can have a strong effect on your relationship with food, your relationship with your body, and also your mental health overall because there is so much emphasis on restrictive nutrition and pushing yourself to extremes where a lot of your everyday life revolves around making sure that you're looking a specific way because when it comes down to it, it is a second job. It is going to take a lot of time and effort and dedication. And if that's something you're into, it can be good for you, but it's really important to understand that it might distort your body's natural tendencies around nutrition a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We're not here to say you should or shouldn't do it. That is always your choice. It's just good to be aware of what the pros and the cons are. So that's what exactly. we're here to do is just teach. Exactly. Okay. Time for my favorite part. Woo. I'm excited for this one. Okay. I didn't think too much about it. So I don't, I always do this. I like, don't ever know my answer. Same. Okay. So question is what is, is this the right word? Execution meal. What is your execution meal? So like what's that last meal you eat before you get zapped and die? <laughs> <laughs> and we were really thinking this would be a really great question for this episode because oftentimes when people do compete in bikini competitions the day of their competition, like after they're done competing, obviously, and like everything's through and they're like six months out of their prep and this is their big celebration. They have cheat meals and sometimes it's even cheat days. Honestly, I've seen where they just go all out and they eat like all this Oftentimes I've seen like pizza and like sugary desserts and huge meals that they weren't really allowed to consume during any of their preparation for this competition. So we thought it'd really be fun. And we were calling it the execution meal because we don't know what else it's really called because we didn't want to say cheat meal because I feel like cheat meal and execution meal are very different. <laughs> yeah, this is like what the last eat, like the very last thing you eat yeah yeah like the last bite of food you ever get to enjoy as a human mm -hmm. uh and i feel like that's different than like what's your favorite meal 
which is what I'm currently thinking of as my answer. Oh, but no, no, no. This is the last thing you experience when you're alive. <laughs> That's why I'm having a hard time with it. Cause I know, I think I know the answer to my favorite meal, but I don't know. Why don't you go first while I sit here and ponder <laughs> everything? Okay. Gosh. So I am very much, I like voluminous meals where I can eat a lot of food and I I really I have an appreciation for like those like five course restaurants where the portions are like <laughs> a quarter size small but the like food is so rich and high quality that that's what makes it so expensive but like that's just not my thing I I like eating a lot of food so I think my execution meal would be See, I thought I knew. I thought, <laughs> I thought I knew, but that was like, I don't know. I feel like. See, I, I hope I big... never have to decide. Hope that I just like don't know when I'm going to die. And so that I can just whatever it was, it Same. was. I can't decide. <laughs> Same. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. Oh. Okay, here I'll say what my what I thought I was gonna say, even though I'm not. Maybe it'll inspire me. I can't commit. Mm -hmm. I've been talking with Ross a lot lately about what I what I really enjoy eating. I'm having it tonight, actually. And this is not. Oh, there's so many avenues. I also could like think about like restaurants that I really like, and that's not what I'm doing. I'm thinking about like what I cook myself. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think it's like a burger and fries, like a really good burger, really good fries, maybe a milkshake too. Ooh, yeah. Because I've been realizing recently that I love a good cheeseburger. I've been like obsessed with them lately. I had one the other day from Burger Fi. Do you have a Burger Fi around you? I do not. Is that like a Five Guys or kind like of? a Smash Burger? I never had Smash Burger, so I don't know. I mean, I think it's a chain, but there's one in Fort Wayne. Okay. It's kind of new. It's really good. They have like the best burger in Fort Wayne, in my opinion. This is not a food blog. We're not here to talk about that. <laughs> so I think my answer is a, like a really good burger and fries. Don't know where, don't know who makes it, but just an objectively. What do you put on your burger? Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, just, I don't know. I didn't mean to send you to this was distressed. <laughs> I have such a hard time answering these kind of questions because my food preferences and tastes and things change every single day. But today I would choose bacon, cheese, lettuce, tomato, onion, ketchup, and mustard. I think that's it. So did that inspire you to think of your answer? It did. It did. It did. Okay. okay. So I was thinking the like type of food. That's how I was thinking. And I would either want fajitas with like a lote and like a marg. Or I'd want, <laughs> or I'd want really good tacos with elote and a marg. So I'm really into, <laughs> I'm into the like Mexican cuisine. I feel like that would be the That's best so, thing I Whenever you say marg, I think you're going to say something else and then you just end with marg. And so I can't <laughs> tell if you're done talking or not. Like, surely she's going to finish the word, but I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that's such a good answer, too. I love Mexican food so much. Yeah. I've never been disappointed. 
Me neither. It's always so good. Even if it's a terrible restaurant, it's still Mexican food and it's still delicious. Yeah. Well, don't have a good answer. I guess it's burger and fries. I, I guess like that's still Mexican a good food. answer. I know, but I don't know if I was like in the moment, like about to get murdered because I like committed a crime. <laughs> if that would be what I would want. I guess I'll have to just wait and see. <laughs> I guess I'll have to just be in the chair and then I'll make a snap decision. I don't think they feed you in the chair though. I think it's gonna be too late then. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they warn me, you know. By the way, tomorrow's your last meal and then on Wednesday we're getting zapped. <laughs> I think you'll be informed. That's good. <laughs> I would hope they could at least me to me that decency, no matter how bad the crime I commit. <laughs> okay <laughs> thanks for tuning in to this episode of the upbeat dietitians we've been your hosts hannah and emily <laughs> let us know what your execution meal would be yeah and also what you i guess i would say what are your thoughts on bikini competitions but i don't know if everyone knows what that's like but what do you want to know more about bikini competitions or something because we could potentially bring on a dietitian that is much more educated in this area and we can hear what they have to say yes we've got a lot of episodes that we gotta fill with ideas so let us know Mm -hmm. all right we'll see you guys next week yes have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next wednesday yes 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 Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in on this episode of the Upbeat Dietitians with your hosts, Emily Krause and Hannah Thompson. We appreciate you all so much for continuing to support us. In order to support us and sustain the success of this podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating and review. If you'd like to provide us feedback for future episodes and guest stars, follow us on Instagram at the Upbeat Dietitians. Lastly, you can show us support by providing a monthly donation using the link at the end of our bio. Once again, thank you so much for listening today and stay tuned next Wednesday for a new episode. Until then, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your week.